DW Africa Link More and more Africans are openly interrogating colonial era narratives and asking themselves how the bitter legacies their countries are left with can be overcome. As debate swirls over the latest outpourings of remorse and apologies from ex-empires such as the Netherlands, Britain, Germany or Belgium, some Africans are starting to agitate harder for reparations. I'm Isaac Mugabe and you're listening to the story of the week on DW Africa Link. First, the world news in brief. DW News And I am Michael Luti. Preliminary results in Liberia's presidential election runoff show Joseph Bwakai, the country's opposition leader and former vice president, in the lead with 50.6% of the vote over incumbent George Weah with 49.4%. The election is widely considered a test for Weah, who is facing criticism for not tackling corruption. International observers have commended Liberia for a peaceful election. Jarek Domanski lead the European Union's observer mission. The polling proceeded smoothly and orderly and was assessed positively as, as well organized in the overwhelming majority of polling places observed. Voting procedures were generally followed with only few procedural irregularities noted primarily caused by confusion over the inking procedure. A West African regional court has backed Senegal in a legal battle with jailed opposition leader Osmani Sonko, who had filed a case claiming the state had violated his human rights. Sonko, 49, has faced a flurry of court cases over the past two years for charges including libel and rape, which he denies. He was arrested in July for insurrection. The government dissolved his party and he has been struck off the electoral roll ruling him out of a presidential election next February. Thousands of people have taken to the streets in various Arab countries in solidarity with people in the Gaza Strip. In Jordan, people gathered after Friday prayers for a, quote, solidarity march in the capital Amman. In Lebanon, eyewitnesses said hundreds of demonstrators gathered in the capital Beirut in, quote, solidarity with the Palestinian people. Protesters stood in front of dozens of dolls representing little children. This news comes to you from Deutsche Welle, Germany's international public broadcaster. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan is in Berlin for his first visit to Germany in three years. The visit is expected to last only several hours and include meetings with German President Frank-Walter Steinmeier and Chancellor Olaf Scholz. The visit comes at a time when the Turkish leader has accused Israel of committing war crimes with its bombardment and ground incursion in Gaza. Police in the Pakistani city of Karachi have arrested 50 Afghan nationals in a crackdown on undocumented migrants. Dozens of officers have gone door-to-door to check the identity papers of people throughout the city. Nearly 300,000 Afghans have left Pakistan in recent weeks amid the crackdown. And finally... Nigerian football is in shock after the Super Eagles were held to a 1-1 home draw by Lesotho in a 2026 World Cup qualifier. Nigeria had to come from behind against Lesotho, ranked 153rd by FIFA, in the game in the southern Nigerian city of Uyo. 
Despite the absence of star forward Victor Osimhen of Napoli, the Super Eagles had been expected to make a winning start to their World Cup qualifying campaign. And you're up to date. For more news, visit our website dw.com or download our mobile app. I am Michael Oti. Welcome to the Star of the Week with me, Isaac Mugabe. Uh, the British know what they did to the Kenyan people and they have no business uh, putting their food here except that they should pay reparations. Did you recognize the voice? Yes, that's Julius Malema, the far-left populist South African politician speaking on a visit to Kenya a few days ago. And his trip there came on the heels of a visit by the British monarch, Charles III. These days, Malema is hardly the only African saying that money is the only genuine apology Africans will accept for the atrocities during the colonial era. In fact, after Charles spoke of abhorrent and unjustifiable acts of violence in Kenya under British rule, without actually saying the word sorry, the calls among Kenyans on social media for reparations appear to drown out the calls for an apology. A few weeks earlier, an angry group of indigenous South African Khoi and San people had taken things up a notch by publicly confronting the Dutch king and queen over colonial-era atrocities. The couple were in the country to visit a slavery history museum and to convey an apology. If you've just joined us, you are listening to the Story of the Week on DW Africa Link. I'm Isaac Mugabe, and we are delving into the topic of reparations for Africa. This week, the 54-member African Union weighed in on reparations with a conference that drew delegates from across the continent and the diaspora to Accra in Ghana. Let's listen to what the deputy chairperson of the African Union Commission told the Accra Conference on Reparations, the purpose of which he said was to build a united front in advancing the cause of justice and the payment of reparations to Africans. Africa, the cradle of humanity, has borne the brunt of history injustices and endured the ramifications of a past marked by slavery, colonialization, and exploitation. We must acknowledge that these injustices have had a long-term impact, the consequences of which are still felt today. The demand for reparations is not an attempt to rewrite history or to continue the cycle of victimization. It's a call to recognize the undeniable truth and right the wrongs that have gone unpunished for far too long and continues to thrive presently. 
If you've just joined us for this week's edition, the story of the week on DW Africa, our focus is on Africa's demand for reparations for colonial era wrongs. And we've just heard what Dr. Monique Insanzabaganwa, the deputy to African Union Commission Chairman Musa Faki, told the Accra Conference on reparations this week. Well, the gathering, she noted, marked only the beginning in seeking justice and reparations for Africa. It must be said, though, that the question of reparations has come up frequently in the decades since colonial era started making way for independence and sovereignty in African countries. Years ago, the Organization for African Unity, the body that preceded the African Union, put on its agenda numerous times. But former colonial powers were reluctant even to use the word sorry in dealings with the countries they once subjugated. It is understood that the main reason was to avoid being sued for reparations. So, I asked Anna Hankins Evans, a German-Ghanaian international attorney who's deeply involved both in the post-colonial agreements and in the current reparations movement, what, if anything, has changed since. I think law is crucial in understanding the world as we find it today. Law is not science, it's an opinion, and it is essentially a construct. The irony being that law's purpose is to constrain power. But of course, it also follows the power and it usually aligns with the powerful because they decide what becomes law. And this is something we can see in the history of international law with who was awarded sovereignty and who was not awarded such a privilege um, in the system of uh, relations between states. And this is why you could strip certain communities of their sovereignty and of their, you know, standing in international law and occupy territories because as you constructed these communities that you found in in territories beyond Europe, as you constructed them to be inferior, you thereby um, delivered the justification for their subjugation. So I think law plays a crucial role in the issue of reparations because Law was a tool of subjugation and oppression, but it can equally be transformed into a tool of liberation. However, international law has some shortcomings, as in it doesn't have a centralized enforcement mechanism. And we all see today the imperfection that international law holds with its institutions that lack power to enforce it and to enforce the standards particularly also equally among states. So we always need to be aware of the shortcomings of international law. Nevertheless, I think it can be a useful tool in dismantling, you know, oppression and inequalities in the international system. And if we look into the history, a lot of our liberators and of our, you know, forefathers that fought for liberation, they used law as a tool. We've seen it in so many instances that, you know, it was considered central to the liberation of African states, particularly Kwame Nkrumah, for example, in his work on neocolonialism, he particularly addressed economic structures, economic laws, and he saw international trade and investment laws as central to the problem of exploitation and neocolonialism. 
So I do think we should we should focus on law and try to understand ways in which we can push further the agenda of reparations for people of African descent that were enslaved and trafficked across the Atlantic, but also for the injustices that people on the continent suffered at the hands of colonial masters. It was in Ghana, where you are right now, where many enslaved Africans saw the continent for the last time at the door of no return. What role is the African diaspora playing in concrete efforts now to win reparations? Yes, Ghana has a specific history in that regard. With its door of no returns, it it is... Um, home to a lot of slave castles, for example, the Elmina Castle, and um, it carries a lot of the the history that, you know, separated us as a community and basically stripped a huge group of their identity. And I think it's so crucial to invite the diaspora back into the motherland and to unite our calls for justice and reparations. And we've seen today at the conference the many perspectives that are brought to the table and how enriching the debate has become because we saw and we heard people from the United States speak about their experience and lack of representation in the quest for reparations because they do not necessarily have a government that will you know, lobby for them on the international arena. Then we have people living in Latin America, Brazil, for example, with a huge number of black people of African descent that live impoverished and that are marginalized within their own state. Then we have people of from Europe, the diaspora from Europe that, you know, create this disruption of fortress Europe by just merely existing in the global north in this context. We have people of African descent. We have the Caribbean that are very at the forefront of pushing for an agenda for reparation. The CARICOM, which has a very elaborate um, plan for reparatory justice. And I think it is so crucial for us to come together and benefit from each other's thought processes, but also understanding that our experiences are very unique. And nevertheless, our power lies in togetherness. And I think that was very moving to particularly hearing today's panel um, and the emphasis of togetherness and that we, you know, we have strength in numbers and of course, it, it's, it won't be an easy road and there are a lot of obstacles with regards to the call for reparations. But I think it is important to repair and to heal what the damages that have been done so we can move forward without this generational trauma. In your view, what shape or form can the framework for reparations take? And is it complicated to set up? I mean, the legalities, for instance, are they complicated? Of course, legal solutions and legal uh, remedies are not perfect. So we will in the end be dependent on a kind of political um, solution or it will go hand in hand with a political dialogue for reparations. However, whether there is political will to do so will really depend once we engage in this conversation. And I think 
before we should engage in these conversations, we need to mobilize our own people. We need to communicate why this is such an important cause, and we need to understand who our allies in this quest are. But of course, you know, the argument that is being brought forward against reparation is always, but it was not legal. It was legal during the time of enslavement. It was legal during the time of colonialism. It was legal during the time of genocidal violence against, you know, African people and colonies. So that is an argument that has been repeated in order to avoid accountability for the crimes that have been committed. I think one can challenge that because it has a specific anti-black component to why crimes against a certain group of dark skin are considered um, not a crime or were considered not a crime um, in international law because there were prohibitions of enslavement and there were certain laws in place that would protect the humanity but humanity of black people was constructed in such a way that it was considered deficient do you know of any meaningful engagement or negotiations taking place now between the african union and former colonial powers or any forms of reparation the african union is a governmental organization and the organ with the power in that regard is the assembly of heads of state and it was upon ghana's initiative that it was brought into the african union to be you know discussed and i wouldn't say there is even consensus between african states in that regard but it is a first step in the right direction of you know bringing it to an continental organization where this can be debated and where different perspectives can be brought to the table. But so far, I'm not aware of any initiative that the African Union has taken. But one needs to understand the powers of the African Union are limited in that regard. And it can only do so much as heads of state would want it to do. However, the African Union, once it, you know, once it was given the mandate, of course, I believe it will work towards, you know, a comprehensive document and plan, you know, on how to further push this agenda. But I don't think it will happen right away. We will need some time and set up expert groups because we have so much expertise on the continent and in the diaspora. And we have so many people approaching reparations from different angles. So one must understand it's not just about payment of money. It's also about sharing knowledge of, of our history. It's about repairing and, you know, acknowledging our worth. It's really rebuilding self-esteem that has been robbed from people and that keeps us in the shackles of white supremacy. In the end of the day, I don't think such a call can be stopped and Africans will do everything in their power and people of African descent to push for, you know, this idea of justice. But it is it is quite refreshing to see that reparation can mean a whole lot of different things. And it's not only understood in monetary in, in, in monetary payments, but it is also understood in, 
you know, reshaping a system that we find today that is the international economic order, that is our financial system um, and architecture that hinders the development of African states and states of the global south and keeps them at the peripheries, as I argue, by design. And so to challenge that, we need to go to the root cause of what, you know, um, enabled the establishment of inequalities. And once we do that, we are a step closer of reimagining how a future for us can look like and how a future can look like that doesn't revolve around um, our identity only being coined to our oppression. To remind you, if you've just joined us, I'm Isaac Mugabe, and you're listening to the Story of the Week on Africa Link with our guest, international attorney and reparations expert, Anna Hankins Evans. So, Anna, how would you convince the average African of the advantages of a collective Africa position on the issue of reparations? It's funny that you ask that because I had a conversation with an Uber driver. Um, we were, he picked me up and he asked uh, what I was doing, how my day went. And I was telling him that I went to a conference and he inquired what kind of conference that was. So I was like on reparation and we had a very, very interesting and touching debate about it because these are the perspectives of the ordinary people that we need. And we spoke about this at the conference that we need to do this, you know, for the benefit of the people. And it should, must not be stuck in a sort of elitism and um, in an academic bubble where we discuss these issues. But there are real life outcomes for people that depend on whether or not we can come to an agreement on certain points. And so it is important for you know, as the the young man I engaged in a conversation today pointed out, for him to also understand what's going on. He had no idea what's going on. And his emphasis was that he wishes and he wants accountability. Like we we need to also look at ourselves and I completely agree. But we can only do this with the people because the people is what makes Africa and the people are what makes the state. And it is to their benefit that we are fighting for, you know, the justices because Africa is the continent that still hosts the most vulnerable groups. And we see so many displaced, you know, communities due to wars that are a direct consequence of colonial oppression and um, is a continuance of this violence. So I think we should always center, you know, the ordinary people in this discussion. It is not for a certain elite to benefit from, you know, reparations, but it is about, you know, repairing for those who have been harmed and robbed the most. As an individual that is also German, it is quite telling that states are hesitant to even apologize. And it is felt as very insincere, be it Germany or be it um, the Netherlands recently with regards to the enslavement of African people. But also, as I mentioned, Germany with regards to the Herero and Nama, you know, genocide that they um, committed. And 
it is always about not wanting to be held accountable. And that's a shame because we cannot repair unless we acknowledge the harm that we've done without keeping a back door because we do not want to deal with the consequences. Accountability means dealing with the consequences. And in other cases, it has been, you know, it has been shown that it is possible to acknowledge a crime, even if it was not considered illegal under international law at that time, even though that construct of legality, as I mentioned before, can be indeed challenged. But it is sad and it, it breaks my heart for the communities who we saw representatives speak today as well, how they're you know, furthering the cause and how they're fighting for the justices, how it is still a living story is because we still are being told the stories by our, you know, by our parents and grandparents. And so it's not, it's not that, that it's not that it's, it's quite a, a recent story of, of injustice. Even colonization, you know, it was our grandparents that were born into the system. It was even our parents that were still born into the system oftentimes. So I think to say that it's all an, a thing of the past and we do not need to hold ourselves accountable will really hinder us moving forward in repairing the damages that have been done. Thank you, Anna Hankins-Evans, an international attorney with interesting insights into the very important question of reparations for colonial era injustices. Now, one thought-provoking statement that Dr. Monique Nsanzabaganwa, the Rwandan national who currently serves as the deputy chairperson of the African Union Commission at the Accra Conference on Reparations, was this. Reparations are more than merely financial transactions. They are a moral and ethical obligation. They represent our acknowledgement of past wrongs and, more importantly, the resolve to make amends. It's a tangible step toward justice, equality, and healing for those who have suffered and continue to suffer the consequences of historical injustices. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, to build this united front, I reiterate the importance of working together in a collaborative and cooperative spirit. The cause of justice knows no bounds. And only by working together can we overcome the challenges that lie ahead. In the pursuit of reparations, it is also our duty to address the lingering structural inequalities. It's about equality and quality of education. With the conscious effort to work together towards the positive transformation of the psyche of Africans. Quality of access to healthcare, economic empowerment, and the reconstruction of our dignity as a people. Our vision is to make Africa an influential global player 
in a more equitable world. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, I urge us to champion, uh, to be champions of this cause, mindful of the fact that this is just the beginning. We are gathered here to learn from one another and to form strong networks that will allow us to return to our respective communities, nations, and organizations with a renewed sense of purpose. As we champion this noble cause, let us be the change agents, the voices that will not be silenced, and the advocates for justice. In conclusion, allow me to reaffirm our collective commitment to the cause of justice and reparations. Together, we shall build a united front that will not rest until the ideals of justice, equity, and racial healing are achieved. Let us be the architects of a brighter future for all Africans and indeed for all of humanity. I thank you for your kind attention. Thank you to you, our listeners. I'm Isaac Mugabe, your host for this edition of the Story of the Week with producer Benita van Eysen and the rest of the team at DW Africa Link. Have a splendid weekend. minds.